0: All right, we are live. I'm Nicky T. Your host. this is DF Dubs, and I'm here with our special guest, Connor J. Stinson. Doctor. I'm sorry, nurse Dr. Connor J. Stinson. <laughs> how you doing, man? Good, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Just uh, We were going over the wild story of your Christmas experience. So oh yes, I just got was...
1: back last night. <laughs> 10 p.m., shout out to Mike Pantano for giving me a ride. Dude, super Yuck. awesome
0: guy. Super yeah. generous. Yeah. Um, what was the airport story?
1: So, you want the short?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's a long-form podcast, so yeah. whatever you want to do. Yeah, I don't want
1: to bore people. But there is one story from the airport that is noteworthy. It's a good share. Um, well, basically, I my flight, which was set to be yesterday morning from Minneapolis, where I went to visit uh, my new lady friend, Teresa's... Um, <laughs> family out in uh yeah in Minneapolis so my flight was supposed to be from Minneapolis to Chicago Chicago to Philly and I got a text Christmas Eve night that the Chicago to Philly was canceled so I went to the called Southwest for three hours and nothing went to the airport waited in line for a good two hours to talk to them and they threw me on a flight in like 10 minutes to leave to St. Louis and then come to Philly Mm -hmm. and um so that was good I said goodbye and all my bags and went to st louis when i get to st louis the second half of the layover flight was cancelled so the flight to philly was cancelled and so i waited and they had a huge line um, that was probably the worst airport i've ever flown through st louis it was just chaos <laughs> there and uh, very small but um i waited in line to talk to someone to reschedule and uh they basically told me the 30th would be the next available flight december 30th so i'd have to wait in the airport for three days so instead, well, I did spend the night in the airport. I made some friends in line, and we all uh, <laughs> camped out. And um, I slept for three hours on the floor. And then my flight the next morning to LaGuardia, which I would scheduled, was canceled. Um, so I ended up having to fly to Chicago, to then to Philly, through America instead, and just buy a new ticket altogether. But, um, yeah, so I had three flights canceled total. But there was one, uh, so while I was waiting in line to speak with customer service, there's a, um, there was a flight from St. Louis to LaGuardia that night, like 10 p.m. It had been delayed to like 11. And I see the people all waiting outside the gate for it. Um, and so I tried to do, do that online, but it's booked. And I, I ran up just in front of the line, like to the front of the line, the guy had seen me waiting in line and I asked him like, hey, there's probably like one or two more seats on that flight. Um, do you think I could, you could switch me real fast because it's leaving in five ten minutes and he goes, uh, well you'd have to go talk to the, the man at the gate up there to see if there is availability, right?
0: This is the southwest guy?
1: Yeah, southwest guy and that's at one side of the terminal the LaGuardia gate is the opposite side of the terminal so I run up to the uh, LaGuardia gate, talk to the guy who scans the tickets who um, he, he goes <laughs> he goes, do you have a ticket to LaGuardia? uh, you flight, you know, seven forty nine, And I'm, I'm I, st- I started explaining my situation. Yeah. I, I don't have a ticket right now. I had one for Philly that was canceled, but I'm trying to get it switched. And he interrupted, do you have a flight to the Guardia flight oh my gosh! I, it repeated the, um, and he, and I explained to him again and he goes, that's not my job. My job is to scan the tickets. Do you have a ticket for me to scan? Wow. And at, you know, at that point I was <laughs> pretty pissed off and pretty, uh, exhausted. And, um, I said to him i understand it's not your job but i'm explaining my situation if you please just listen you'll understand you'll be able to help me do you have a ticket for to the oh you know um and i said to him you <laughs> you might be single-handedly the most incompetent employee at this airport and and luckily the phone rings at, at the same time so he answers it hey this is jim and as i'm backing away F you, Jim. (laughs) The whole airport had turned, and I'm not proud of it. I was very irritated um, at the end of my ropes. But then I walked away and uh, went back to my waiter where I was waiting in line. That customer service guy told me, "Well, go." he goes, why don't you talk to the customer service at that gate, like outside of that gate, because they might be able to be the ones to help you. The guy scanning tickets won't be able to. Mm -hmm. So I ran back. This is my... um, Fifth, one-way directional between the two, right? Um, To talk to the customer service person at that gate. And as I'm walking up, Jim comes and, Hey, dude. Hey, buddy. We tried to get you on a flight. There's one more seat. And I'm thinking, wait, is he? I I figured he was going to be pissed at me as he approaches. But... um, Wait, he, he was actually helping said, me. Yeah, yeah. Are you serious? And he's very excitable. I'm like, is he messing with me? Or no, he's not. And um, <laughs> he goes, go, but we need. We don't know. We don't know where you are. Go see the lady, the customer service one, right in front of that gate, right. So I go up to see her, and um, and she already has my name. She's like trying to get the ticket for me. I was like, okay, awesome. Thank you so much. I, let me just go grab my luggage because it's all down <laughs> the line that I've been waiting in. <laughs> and then I'll be right back. So I run down full adrenaline and get my luggage and with three bags, like wait, wait, flailing wait. my arms. Time out. <laughs> you,
0: you left your luggage unattended in the airport. Well,
1: it was... <laughs> <laughs> in um, a line full of, full of my friends, mind you, at that point. <laughs> They're watching me. You're watching my luggage. Oh,
0: was the, the voice going over the speaker? Please do not leave luggage unattended. <laughs> and that didn't signal anything. Nobody called you out, or you didn't have any dogs chasing you down the hallway. Well, that
1: voice, along with uh, final call for flight to La Guardia, St. Louis to LaGuardia. You, you done. say
2: something. Say something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So no joke, as I'm running back with my luggage, like arms flailing, I'm asking, please help me. Could you help me carry my luggage? And people are like, I'm sorry, I'm taking care of my no, family. At no
0: point did anyone, the guy who left his luggage in line, running with his arms <laughs> flailing through the airport, at no point did anyone think to report you to the authorities. <laughs> this is phenomenal.
1: The same, the same man who screamed at the, uh, you know, customer service rep. Yeah, he
2: verbally assaulted the flight <laughs> <him, my> personnel. <laughs> Okay, buddy, listen. Oh, my
1: gosh.
0: I don't think I've ever, ever seen anything closer to a motive yeah. <laughs> in an airport. Yeah, I know, I
1: know. They, they didn't have the personnel to uh, flag me. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So as I'm running back, I joke you not, halfway to the uh, LaGuardia gate, I hear, last call for, you know, uh, gate E10 the like, flight from St. Louis to Philly LaGuardia or to LaGuardia. Um, and as i'm like maybe 200 feet i hear final call for <laughs> and i said wait i'm here i am not even joke and everyone turns around and who's in line and looks and they're like you know one lady starts to go Woo, come on you got this and the other people start yeah like cheering her on oh um nobody helped me carry my bags they just watched but you poor baby <laughs> And so I show up to Jim's little scanner booth and I just drop my stuff and I was felt like I was gonna vomit. I was dripping sweat. I was exhausted and Yeah. No, and and then it looks
2: like a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> F-U, Jim oh, was, yeah. Starts running, sprinting across the airport. Yeah. <laughs> sweating bullets. Dude, felt I wanted vomit. I was just
1: getting out of that damn airport. I don't care. <laughs> I don't. I, I genuinely. I wish I would have been flying fly on the wall watching it because I oh, probably man. looked ridiculous. But
0: they probably have you on know, a no-fly list. <laughs> your
2: picture
1: posted on this St. Louis airport. Carrying my three bags. If you see this man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So I. Um. I. I'm going to get my ticket from the lady, and the pilot walks up the walkway. He comes over and I'm like, this is my chance. If I'm ever gonna score, a fl- I mean, I'm de- I'm getting a flight, but I'm you definitely. You did
2: the pilot.
1: Stop it. I'm like, you know, this is my chance to fly, dude. I've been interested in planes for Stop. forever now. <laughs> I can't. Take it. Nick, what? <laughs> Dude, this oh is gosh. this is a prime opportunity. You know, you gotta seize these moments you when have they come. No so. boundaries. <laughs> <You have laughs> z- zero shame. Oh my gosh.
2: Okay, tell me. So the pilot the, walks up. The pilot of the airplane. Well, I'm say. thinking like,
1: here's my chance to either number one, like to see the inside cockpit of a 737 oh my, Max. 8. You I, did not. Ask. I, or if that doesn't oh work out, at least get a flight to you know. Who do, who <laughs> to do you
2: Thank you. Are? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So the pilot Dr. walks
1: up Connor and Jace I told him, hey, I'm a doctor in Philadelphia. Do uh, <laughs> you
0: think you could? <laughs> no. I'm so sorry to everyone listening. I'm just a babbling uncontrollable <laughs> idiot right now. I'm just flabbergasted.
1: So he walks up and before I can say anything, he gives like the, the customer service agent a half fug and he says, I just got a call from LaGuardia. The entire flight's canceled because they're backed up. They're over, overbooked with incoming flights. And she looked devastated. I felt very bad for her. Um, the whole flight of like 150 people <clears throat> just have to have to has to un, un um, unboard and come back and wait in line to get rescheduled. So that just like wow. tripled their work, and and that means that. Well, obviously, I'm not gonna bitch and moan about not being able to get on that flight because you know <laughs> nobody is. But <laughs> uh, yeah. So then I, I wrapped up and con- concluded that there was no chance of getting out of that airport that night yeah spent the night there you go man that's my travel story dang man that was not a short version but (laughs) nevertheless, that's okay
0: that's okay wow Wow. that's insane yeah what time did you get here
1: uh i finally got back so then i ended up going leaving the airport like the next morning just to step outside for 10 seconds and regroup and then like yeah i was like all right i'm coming back in I can either go back to the Southwest terminal or or find something else, and I've had no luck there. So I I stepped outside. I came back in. The American line looked a lot better. I go in that line while researching online on my computer, like which flights to do. And um, they hooked me up with a flight to Chicago, then to Philly, and none of or sorry to Chicago, then to Chicago to New York, and none of those were canceled. So I got back yesterday, like 7
0: p.m. Okay. Wow. Made out I worked out,
1: man. But I'm running I was running on no sleep. It was
0: Yeah, yeah. Well So what do you want to talk about?
1: Dr. Stinson. <laughs> Good transition. <laughs> oh well we finished with um, travel stories. Yeah. I just found out my, from my roommate this was a national thing that Southwest was was going through. disorganization uh, of their flight attendants. So um,
0: That's crazy, man. That is absolutely crazy.
1: What did you do
0: over Christmas? Christmas? Yes. Um, really not a whole lot. it's uh, an exciting story. Yeah. It's a really, really long story. I went home and then I came back. <laughs>
1: yeah. and did you, did you get the usual coal into the tree
0: from your parents? Uh, I got two coals this year cause I was an extra bad boy. Oh, no, I went home to visit my dad. He doesn't live too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pretty much did a whole lot of nothing. Here's oh, you know what I did? I had, uh, unfortunately, I had too many drinks because. Which night? Well, on Christmas morning. night. Morning. Oh, night. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, in the morning. Follow now. Um, I so my step family came over. It's weird calling them step family because my dad married. You're this new woman. Yeah, yeah, my like his wife. Like I was a full blown adult when they got married, so like calling her my stepmom feels uh, weird.
1: Where would she's just a foreign lady, is what you mean? A foreign lady. <laughs> <laughs> Never or she's heard, your mom? Uh, would you that way? But yeah. yeah,
0: well, she's definitely not my mom. Yeah,
1: right. That's what I mean.
0: But even just to call her. My stepmom feels stepmom weird. Stepmom Yeah, that yeah. obnoxious clanking. Let's call is her. Connor f- <laughs> stirring his, what is that, hot chocolate?
1: Coffee, man. Coffee.
0: <laughs> I couldn't tell because of the light, creamy color. Yes. Well, that's the massive amounts amount of that. sugar <laughs> and cream <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. that everything. <laughs> well, well so probably hot chocolate.
1: What do you call, I don't you call her her first name.
0: Uh, I do, I do call her. I have Patty. I Debra. Call her Patty. Debra, Debra. Uh, Patty, no, okay. Not Debra. Patty. <laughs> Padra. um So, yeah. Patty had, and I had a nice time together.
1: Is she the reason you drank too much?
0: No, no. I just, I don't know. And hopefully they never listen to this. Um, but whenever I go home, sometimes they'll come over for dinner or something. and um, I, It's nice. It's nice to see them, for sure, 100%. But I just find that, I don't know, I get socially awkward. You yeah. Know? So I think to myself, well, I could sit on this couch by myself and just look at the wall
1: yeah, one
0: option. Or I could have a few drinks and get a little buzz going, you and know? And start
1: feeling good. Yeah. And sit at the wall. So and I at the did wall. that
0: and stared at the wall. No. But there's also little kids running around having fun. Anyway, long story short, uh, this time around I uh, I had too many drinks. So Uncle Nick was knocked out on the couch <laughs> on Christmas night. Verbally kids, abusive to his family. Yeah, right, right. And the kids are running around like crazy playing. And then finally, as I'm coming, I'm like waking from my stupor. One of the, the little one, the, the boy goes to me, are you done with your nap? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of woke up and I was like, yeah, I'm done with my nap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, like, Bobby, r-
0: get, get Uncle Nick one of those Gatorades from the fridge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> got to hydrate, you know, uh, stay in school. No, but uh, so I'm waking up and like, my eyes are all squinty. I'm like, you know, zombie coming up from the grave. and
1: All the beer bottles clink. They're right,
0: falling exactly. Of <laughs> falling on the floor. That is just terrible, that sound. So uh, and then they just had to leave. Uh, coincidentally, at that point, that was <laughs> funny. It wasn't because Uncle Nick fell into a drunken sleep on the couch and ruined Christmas. <laughs> at least I hope not. Um, oh my but anyway, so um, that was my Christmas. I downloaded some some games on my phone. Me that too, I
1: dude. I played a little um, yeah. game where you basically these people run through uh, like a um, like a zone. It'll be like plus ten. It'll be plus twenty, plus oh, dude, fifty. I've, I've you know what I mean? Game. And I've then they multiply. Game. They have to outnumber yeah. the other army. Yeah,
0: that's got a shelf life of about six days. Right? <laughs>
1: It's only one day for me. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, the ads, I, I, man, I speak ads in maximums, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one day, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm amazed you made it a full 24 hours. But
1: Without losing attention span? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. No, but honestly, like, those those games, they're not designed to last. They, they want you to get addicted, and then... It's
1: fun mindless, you know, yeah. filler. But
0: they try Present, their hardest. From, they try their hardest to make you keep it. They put those calendars on there, like, oh, calendar re- day one, day two reward, day three reward.
1: I mean, it prevents you from slipping into the nihilistic existential <laughs> dread of our own existence for at least another two hours, you know. Let's then,
0: talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will get to that. But, um, yeah, no, my my break was pretty pretty meaningless (laughs) no i got to spend time with my dad he had a wild he so my dad is retired yeah at least he was uh he worked a long full career in insurance and he is a master of his trade but he was sick of it so he retired took his package his pension and he walked out the door but eventually he was working on the house and he eventually he got kind of like the, the feeling that okay i think god wants me to get out of the house again mm-hmm. so he took a job and he would he had joked about taking this job with me and my brother but um we never thought he would actually do it but sure enough he did it he, he it? took a job at chick-fil-a <laughs> <laughs> and i i crap you not as he, the milkshake he loves he loves it he does loves he it. really yeah my and pleasure.
1: So, yeah, I'm he, sure he, that we well. joke
0: about that. I still have to go in there and make him say it. But no, he—I thought he'd be like working the front counter, and I'd get to go harass him. No, he's a manager. he would like say keep saying thank you until he finally <laughs> punches me across the face. No, he's a big dude too, so he could he could yeah. beat the crap out anybody he desires. He's athletic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah big dude, but um, nicest guy in the world. But anyway, so uh, he's working at My Pleasure, and he's—but he's a prepper, so he works prep in the in the back in the okay. kitchen. Okay. Okay. And uh anyway, his first few months working there were just rough because this one guy that he works with was just really unkind. Huh. Um Anderson would make his life pretty much like a living hell. He's
1: probably half your dad's age. Um Is he an older not, guy? Not
0: quite half, but um I would say yeah, maybe like in his thirties or forties. Yeah. But um
1: It's a it's a <laughs> saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah got it so
1: what would he do to your dad that's well unsharing? he would
0: just make these like nasty side comments like slow as crap or like and then eventually it boiled to the thing where he tried to fight my dad what yeah <laughs> <Freeze> <laughs> the, it, let's go outside yeah take care of this. he was like you want like, to yeah exactly so, what on earth did of, your dad like, would jack this kid up. this guy he oh. would destroy this dude anyway did he, did he do it no no oh. but thankfully he, we got the guy got reported and finally he got fired um
1: that's he got fired.
0: Your yeah. dad got him fired. No, no,
1: no, but the guy got fired. oh, the guy got fired. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, the you, guy, not my dad. That's the awesome. Guy, no, your dad got him. No, it was,
0: yeah. it was, I don't know if I would say my dad got him fired. The guy got himself fired, you know. But I, I, this guy was just not very kind. Um, and so he had some stuff going on, obviously. So, we, you know, I have to pray for him, but anyway. Um, so now that the job is better, going better for my dad, uh, which is great. Uh, but now he's got an issue with the other worker who, who was with him. Some girl, she's college-aged, she's probably like 20, and uh, apparently she is just really very slow. Yeah, um,
1: cognitively slow?
0: Well, I don't know about that, but she, <laughs> I, he says that he's doing 75% of the work. Wow. Yeah like so and he is a very hard-working guy hard I, working. I mean yeah. he busts his butt no matter what yeah. he does yeah i said dad i think if i was in there with you i'd probably be on the chopping block <laughs> <laughs> and he was like well you know he didn't deny yeah, it he didn't deny no, it no because he just works uh, i said dad it would be hard to keep up with you you could have a machine in there you'd be thinking this machine slow but he's he reinforced his point with evidence and he said no she does some things that really, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad, really? you know, yeah. Oh, and, man. And after hearing his story, I can corroborate the claim that, yes, she is, in fact, uh, quite slow. So, um, and apparently she's not been so nice to him as of late either. So uh, that led me to wonder if my dad was doing things <laughs> that were, you know, <laughs> eliciting unkind yeah. behavior. Yeah, right. But he the seemed to, you know? yeah, because he'd said he talked to the manager and he said to the guy, gonna think it's me you know <laughs> but after hearing my dad's story side of it, it sounds yeah. like no no
1: i think that they just have some yeah you know less the, the uh, hard-working quality of the workers is yeah. perhaps not as high as it And dude be. that's a thing i feel like uh, maybe i sound like an old curmudgeon here but mm-hmm. um people don't have they don't you know so like r- regardless of your labor find meaning in it you know like to find uh, purpose in your work is a great accomplishment yeah. and to work diligently at it regardless of its prestige you don't have to be a lawyer to be good at your job if you take on a lowly position of say a chick-fil-a worker or like a gas station employee to be good at your job is a noble thing yeah it's a virtue I would say because it helps other people like think about it when you go so incompetency is where I'm getting at I think employees these days I find are so incompetent just across the board you go to Starbucks to get your coffee and like they screw it up or they're not listening when you talk so therefore they mess it up right Um, they're not being diligent paying attention just doing their job the right way
0: what do you attribute that to
1: (laughs) that's a good question uh I don't know I
0: don't know. Do you think it's a function of like a generational gap where people in the the newer generations are just not as well formed?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that's too far. Um, I think that it's a lack of passion. You know, when you have passion for something, you're much more diligent with it. You care more about it and you want to do it right so like when you're passionate about something in a project everybody knows they've gotten caught on an interesting project and they just like they they read all about it they learn all about it they think it through that's what we need like critical thinkers right but you're not always going to be passionate about what you do what your your assignments are but um you should treat it the same way regardless you know yeah so I think that the workers don't have passion because probably they don't see the meaning in their work as especially as like lower like part-time jobs lower prestiged part-time jobs um, they don't see how it's meaningful or impactful to other people but it is you know and we're in this moral fabric of interconnected and interconnectedness where every action we take has irreparable uh, effects on another human being in one way or another. So that customer service rep at uh, Southwest has a large effect on my me getting to my 7 p.m. shift on time, which I did not. But you know, like so, yeah. we all affect one another. Yeah. And you you can be of service to other people by taking your job seriously.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to think how connected the fabric of reality is. It can be very easy to think that my little sphere. Of the world doesn't impact anybody. Yeah. Else. Mm-hmm.
1: But and everybody like, walks around like that, bumping right. off of each other, their little sphere, right?
0: Yeah. But even my, shall, shall we say, uh, I don't know, my lack of caring, my, my disinterest can affect somebody. Yep. Your you apathy. Know? Apathy my, kills. My apathy can, can really harm someone. Yep. Uh, I think this is especially true for, uh, for children. You know, I was watching this TED Talk where um, they did this study where the, there was a, an adult, the, the dad of this child, in the room with the child. Mm-hmm. So you have dad and kid in the same room, uh, and they did two scenarios. The first was dad was fully present to the child, looking him in the eyes, playing with him, laughing with him, smiling at him, and you observe the child's behavior. The child is really having a good time, obviously. And then in the second scenario, uh, dad had his tablet out and he's just looking at the tablet and they let some time go by and then the child eventually turns to dad and he's kind of tugging on his leg and, you know, dad, dad, Yeah, yeah. Uh, dad, no response, just mm-hmm. looking at the tablet. This goes on for, you know, another 30 seconds. The child eventually begins to cry. uh uh-huh. And uh, still no response from dad. And then finally, the, the person in the TED Talk, this is a live feed they're doing. Right. The person in the tug Talk says, okay, dad, you can play with the kid. Instantaneously, oh. he puts yeah. the tablet down. Instantaneously, the kid is repaired. You know. Really? Yeah, picks the kid up, and the kid is happy as a clam again. All he wanted was, was attention, yeah. was, was not apathy. You know? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we think that doing nothing is not going to hurt anybody, but... And in fact, sometimes doing nothing is that the message he's trying the to prove? most damaging of all. Right? Yeah, it was that essentially being present, and so then it was the the damaging effect of smartphones on the formation of young people of children.
1: Because they want to be known, they want to be affirmed, they want yeah. their existence to be known. I think
0: exactly, and it goes both ways because <coughs> uh, a lot of times parents will hand the tablet or the smartphone to, to the, the baby kid. To, the, mm-hmm. to the kid. And then the disconnection happens from both ends, and it, it is just wreaks havoc on our emotional nervous system, mm. everything. There's these hidden effects that we can't even comprehend, mm-hmm. uh, but we're finally scraping the surface trying to uh, understand. Unpack, it yeah. Yeah. it's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, but I, I wanted to ask you about this, it's particularly because of your background. And we were talking about is this. Is this the rash
1: you wanted to ask me about? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: we'll get to that later in the uh, okay, okay. Dark Secrets Sorry. segment of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, I, I recently came across this video with Ricky Gervais. Are you familiar with Ricky Gervais? Mm-hmm. Uh, very popular actor. Um, but he, it's pretty well known that he's atheist. Mm-hmm. And part of your story is that uh, you were raised. Catholic, but there was a period of your life where you became a non-believer, and you, mm-hmm. you were an atheist, self-proclaimed. And eventually, uh, during some point in your life, it was in college, I believe, mm-hmm. you, uh, you came to know Jesus, and you became to believe. And so I just wanted to, to ask you a little bit about that. Um, Ricky Gervais, one of the things he said, it was a conversation that he was having with a girl, and, and she's, she was kind of pressing him on his atheistic beliefs. She was like, so you don't believe in God? He like, no. She's like, so you think there's nothing after this? He's like, that's right. Mm. And so she goes, hey, why don't you just end it right now? <laughs> and he said, well, and his response was really, it was compelling. <clears throat> he said, well, if you're watching a really good movie and you're really enjoying it and you're in the middle of it, would you just turn it off? Mm-hmm. And she said, no. And he goes, why not? And she says, because I could watch it again. And then he goes, well, I don't think you can watch it again.
2: And mm. I think
0: that that's part of what makes it so meaningful and enjoyable is that you're not going to get a chance to do it again. And you're not going to be here forever. Yes. Yes. And so the fact that it's going to end makes it really meaningful and memorable. That's uh, a great response. And so that. it was very compelling. <clears throat> and that's, yeah, right, let to, me just talk about that. Yeah, that, please. that um,
1: that's a, such a, a great point that he alludes to. The fact that... Uh, people think that the atheist cannot appreciate the same goods that the believer sees, understands, knows and as well as the same pleasures it it comes with um, discomfort as well but um, he's, so you know, life is a show right, like watching a really good movie, well there's many atheistic thinkers, many thinkers period, who have have kind of have thought of it that way like whether you attribute um, our life in this world to any sort of ontological higher um, world or existence or not you can still find life entertaining right like kierkegaard uh, he has his ethical his aesthetic his religious um all, or all the three different like methods he Um, talks about in his philosophy of how one can live. And he eventually sends to the religious being the true. But um, he talks about, uh, oh, you know, so he talks about suicide a lot too. Existentialism in general talks about suicide because um, it leads you to that conclusion. There's a concept in existentialism. Let me make sure I don't get this wrong, but... I think it's called. I think it's absurdism, which is essentially this example puts it well. But basically, the the abstract like paradox that the that like one's life is composed of endless suffering, which is an existential concept. You'd have to to believe you'd have to to be an existentialist. Truly, I guess you have to believe that first, right? But um, at least in part. But um, one's life is you know filled with endless like continual occurrences of suffering and um, and it, it might you might be better and, and like a man can stand at the edge of a cliff and know this about himself about his life but he still doesn't want to jump the urge to continue living far outweighs his desire to jump off the cliff right
0: Where does that urge come from
1: to, to stay Well yeah. yeah that's a great question that's the you know the next thought would be. And a few things. Number one, like, uh, biologically, this is a bereft of psychology or philosophy, but I think that the, our survival instinct is the single strongest human motivator that we have. We we have a proclivity to survive, period. It's just, like, bred in us. And it makes sense evolutionarily. Take takes sociology. You know, everybody focuses on the social dynamics of our interactions today, but there's 13.8 billion years of, well, of I guess there's probably like 7 billion years of uh, life evolving in, it, it, through the mechanism of natural selection, um, so ca- causing us to have a desire to sustain and maintain our species as long as possible. So that's number one. But then number two, like, you know, it's it's in our hearts. It's a natural law theory. The, the, the idea that, like, life is good and that um, gratias supponet uh naturum so grace grace presupposes nature which is like i want to say this is augustine um talks about how like grace so like grace doesn't destroy nature it presupposes it and beatifies beautifies it nature so um god works through natural things to make them beautiful he doesn't like supernaturally come in and like Disrupt the beautiful laws of physics that Mm -hmm. are nature. He works through them to like show you beautiful things, right?
0: I've heard it described as God delights in secondary causes. Mm, There you go. Instead of just primarily and actively causing everything to happen where it's like God's finger directly Mm -hmm, touching each mm -hmm. thing. He kind of sets them into motion and then kind of lets things work according to the way he designed it from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Almost like a programmer in a computer where it's like there are certain triggers that happen like if this then that if X happens then Y will occur uh, and, it, and it's like it, God doesn't have to directly have his finger on everything and yet at the same time he is providentially guiding it
1: guiding the whole thing right
0: but what what would this have to do with the meaning of life like let's, let's just humor Ricky and uh and, like, let's say there is no God, mm-hmm. and that life really doesn't have some sort of common purpose for everyone, okay, uh, and that it really is over when you die, yeah, it's just kind of nothing.
1: I to die and you to live, which is better, God on the nose.
0: but what, what would be the purpose of doing good things i I should say. Uh, things that seem good, because there is no objective good in this sure. particular yeah. universe.
1: Well, first, the first question would be: What would be the purpose of living as an atheist? Which, just real quick to answer, would be that the atheist, the one who doesn't have an objective meaning to follow, or objective purpose, or objective virtue, still can see and appreciate fine things. And and it doesn't. You don't need religion to. Realize that there's a difference between pleasures and happiness, and there's a difference between pleasures and like long-term goods, and that self-denial in the short term leads to a longer term, hap- leads to more happiness long-term. Right? Um, those are all just like things you can learn by observing life as a Homo sapien. Um, mm-hmm. They have theological reflections by our. Um, great saints and fathers before us, but you need not read them to to uncover those on your own. Um,
0: So the ultimate end of an atheist's life is the same as a Christian, which is to experience supreme happiness.
1: Yep. And, And maybe you could even extrapolate to say, and this is why I was an atheist, is because I was compelled by the legitimacy of the argument that our soul, our purpose of human life is to reproduce and to live, right? To exist and to reproduce, to be fecundant. Um, because the only thing that we pass on when we die, given that there's been billions, trillions of individuals, whether it's humans or non humans, that have lived in this universe,
2: sure.
1: the only thing that we pass on is our gene pool. Right, And so you bake the biggest family you can and it passes on. That's your contribution to the world. Hopefully it is good.
0: Well, if I may, even if you were to fail mm-hmm. at that, there is no transgression because there's no punishment for anything. Sure. There's no punishment nor reward. The universe is not alive. You know, It's just a collection of particles of dust which heat up and cool down, and some of which are sentient and have consciousness but ultimately no one's going to punish you for failing to reproduce no and you're, but even would, if they wanted to like you're dead already and that's it it's over that's
1: right and there's no punishment but you're and you need not have a punishment but your contribution to the world continuing
0: well so could you But not
1: you shouldn't care because you're not a part of it
0: but could you even call that a purpose then like could you say oh Maybe my not. purpose is to reproduce because there's no punishment for it there's no reward for it
1: a purpose while alive right? yeah right. sure sure. but you don't need to have a transcendent, transcendental pur- a punishment or reward or purpose even to find purpose in this present life do you? why would you?
0: well I think the idea is where does my purpose come from? am I fabricating it for myself? Mm-hmm. or was it was some, did someone greater than me give me a purpose yeah. that I am called to fulfill, such that if I fail to fulfill it, There's, there are consequences. Well, Albert,
1: Albert Camus says that he gives the myth of Sisyphus. He has a book where Sisyphus is the Greek god who was punished by Hades to um, push this massive sphere boulder up a hill. And when he gets to the top of the hill, um, Zeus sorry, Zeus pushes the, the boulder back down, and he's supposed to do it again. And Albert Camus uses this example the the story of sisyphus as a the modern man he finds meaning in his work mm. he th- he thinks he has meaning in his work he thinks it's contributing to an end but it's it's really just contributing to like the convenience of the propagation of humans or the convenience of human life right like wow. w- from some aspect and like gen- even though you might be contributing good to society that society is pointless and going nowhere so there's it's wow. it's, it's useless work right it's like meaningless work And we all find meaning in it. So we, so what you're, this is exactly what you're saying. He's proposing that we create this own meaning for ourselves, right? By giving, by coming up with open positions for a job to do this, that, the other task, like, it's all, you know. And at the end of the day, maybe that, maybe that's true. But, but he argues that it's important. He argues that like, man can do two things. I believe once he acknowledges that the world is meaningless, as meaningless. The world's meaninglessness, sorry. Um, he says, number one, suicide is an appropriate response to it um, because there's no point in living. You recognize there's no...
0: You're just prolonging the inevitable. Exactly.
1: and It's like, why well, live in a world that has suffering and that mm-hmm. is of no purpose? So you can commit suicide, which he says is the greatest sin of them all because it's man's failure to even take interest in existence. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, you know. He's not a religious figure; Camus, he's an atheist. But the greatest sin of them all, right?
0: Well, that seems to me to be. He's using.
1: He's using. The, he's using right, it as like a. Right. How could you call something? No, sin no. If he's there using it as like no no a. Punisher. As like a, a pithy term, right? Like sin sure, to him could sure, just sure. mean a, a wrong, right? And so. Not okay, meaning so number that one would be suicide. Meaning meaning.
0: What's the number two?
1: Number two. Um, um, hang on. This has been a while, but, uh, and somebody should fact check me on this stuff and comment, but, but I haven't studied, I don't <laughs> yes, know. our like, massive audience. so, so will much. Be I don't scrupulously know.
0: Scrupulously fact checking you.
1: <laughs> but the second one is, um, to, oh, to refuse to acknowledge that that is the case and to pretend that you, your work is meaningful, which is what most people do. He says, and continue on pushing your rock up the hill. But the the the, the huh. detriment to that is that you'll never come to fully understand that um, the the truths of the universe that, that that in fact your work is meaningless. And then also you I think this is I'm just thinking now you probably fail to prioritize things properly because you you find such meaning in your work and you'd skip your father's last moments at his deathbed because you're submitting a project on time and then at the end of the day like it's not important. But yeah, I don't think that's sine qua non for that belief, right? Like it's not necessary. You can certainly be have reasonable um, prioritizing skills and believe that. But then the third one is that um, you assent to this truth and you continue on knowing this, uh, pretending to have, or knowing this and just like in, in, in acknowledging that man needs meaning, which is something he proposes. He, we need this meaning to feel purposeful which makes us more complete. It makes us feel happy. It makes us attribute or reach those highest heights of the human mind's capacity for pleasure, happiness, and fulfillment that we need to have some sort of purpose to live for. And so by creating this for ourselves, we're in a way like accomplishing that ends, even though it's through an inauthentic and crafted and false Mechanism, right? But he says that that's what we should do. He he's at least door number three
0: is the one we should take. Uh, So I can totally relate to the the premise that we are happiest when we are pursuing a purpose. Yeah. When we have some sort of end toward which we are striving, I completely and wholly agree with that. The question that I struggle with is. Have I made that purpose up? Has someone else made that purpose up? Or uh, was this purpose actually designed from all eternity and given to me? And is it real? Yeah. Is it of human or divine origin, this purpose?
1: What yeah, purpose do it. you mean? You, the purpose of well, following the, the first commandment, the golden rule, or well, that's right. So, the like, purpose of your vocation it, it would
0: depend on what the purpose we're talking about is. Like, so let's say the purpose is uh, to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I want to be the richest guy in the world. Uh, you know, that seems to me to be a man-made purpose. Uh, I certainly could strive after that. I could spend a lot of time, hours, days, years pursuing that. And never exhaust it because there's always more money to be made. Mm -hmm. Um, And sure, that could keep me occupied and that would in some sense give me a higher level of happiness than sitting at home playing video games doing nothing Yeah. because I'm striving towards some end. But I don't think that that would make me supremely happy.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And I do think that that would be a fabricated purpose. A purpose that is of Human origin, not, sure. not divine origin. But I don't it, think God is telling anyone you need to make more money, uh, like more and more and more and more and more. Like that's your ultimate end is to make more money.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, but I don't think that you know you can be an, a non-believer and and acknowledge that there there's secondary pleasures and primary pleasures and there's levels of virtuous happiness that exist well, just sure, in the but, order of the world, but, right? Yeah,
0: but that's what I want to talk about is the hierarchy of of pleasure. So, like, according to Ricky's argument, uh, our ultimate purpose in this life is to experience the most happiness that we can, and we can only experience happiness in this life because there is no next life. So, what is going to make me the happiest?
1: I don't think that I think that that Ricky didn't say that.
0: No, he did, but I'm implying this from the premises that he said. Right,
1: which I I think one could could. Invocare. could in, infer or invoke from what, that statement, what but you the, don't need to.
0: Well, I think I, I think could you
1: do. I could take his statement and say, well, he's saying that he's saying exactly what um, um, one of the great Roman emperors said during his death. I I, may, I don't I can't remember who, but he says Marcus Antonius uh, he's stabbed and he goes um, the. Have I played the part well? If so, then then applaud for me as I exit. He's basically, you know, I was in part of the simulation of life, and I, I found fun in it and meaning in it, and it wasn't necessarily like most the most primitive forms of happiness you could say, but um, he, you know, you could still like appreciate it. So so you don't need to be like a, a a materialist to hold those set of beliefs that Ricky Gervais does.
0: No, I just think to use his analogy. You want to enjoy the movie, the most enjoy that you which can. which
1: you can through like long term happiness, the like gratification. Well, right, you want, but,
0: yeah, sure. I'm not saying you have to subscribe to momentary, immediate physical pleasures yeah, all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Sort of, yeah. But his idea is that this is the life that we've got, and that's it. It's only one. So you want to enjoy the movie as much as possible, right, while it's on. I guess
1: you could extrapolate from it that there's no point in sacrificing things in this world for an eternal happiness. Right. They, that would be fair. Because there is so no, there's no such the thing. the
0: movie turns off, the, right. that's and it. And so
1: then your belief would be, in this world, to, um, ha- to experience the most happiness you could possibly.
0: Yeah. So I, I, this is where I kind of want to juxtapose it with the Christian position, which is like, okay, clearly there's a movie on. We can all agree, like, life is happening. Uh, but the Christians would say that our ultimate purpose is not to enjoy the movie as much as possible while it's happening. Mm-hmm. Because we believe that there is an after party
2: <laughs> when
0: the movie's yeah. over. Yeah, yeah. And that the, <clears throat> the after party is actually where our purpose is oriented to.
1: True. But the Christian perspective, the Catholic perspective, the Christian perspective, because it's based in our common father ancestry. Um, Augustine Aquinas is that, is that these human um, desires, these human goods are of God, right? And they, they, so that we're not Epicureans, which is the old Roman philosophy that, of a group that that we are going to avoid suffering as much as possible in this world. So they literally, like, if it takes locking themselves up in a room to avoid experiences happening to them that they couldn't foresee that might inv- invoke. Um, Discomfort, then they'll do it, right? I don't and think
0: atheists flee from every discomfort either. Right. Which no. originally I was like, why not? You're just all about comfort, right? But, but to your not. point, yeah. they, it's because they think that embracing momentary discomforts now will lead to greater pleasure yeah. later, mm-hmm. which is true. Yeah. But as long as it happens in this life.
1: Exactly, you that's know. a good point. That's a good distinction. I, th- I can't think of any logical reason why the atheist would sacrifice things in this life right. for a pleasure that won't, exactly, or a happiness that won't come later. Right? Yeah. That's fair. I'll
0: least. delay my reward. Maybe we're so long As long as I own. get it before I die. Yeah. You know.
1: And that's, so, and, and, and your question or your point um, was that, oh, what were you just saying? Why did Why did it go into Epicureans? Um, what was your What did you say just before that?
0: Um, we were talking about. How the purpose for Christians is oriented towards the afterlife. Oh
1: yes, and so Christians, you know, are not. It's it, many times people think of Christianity as I'm sure all of our listeners know, and think it's the church of knows. It's the philosophy of knows. It's always no, you can't have that. No, you can't do this. No, you can't appreciate. And of course, it's not right. It's 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 not yet. Is actually is there maybe the church of because it's saying we want you to appreciate these human desires. In the right setting, right? Like, we want you to experience what intimacy of sex feels like in the proper setting of emotional c- closeness and interconnectivity right. of a married, of a ma- marriage in the Eucharist, right? Sure. Like, That's an to example. union yeah. a- a- as one.
0: But to, to bring it back to the analogy, I think the, the false image of Christianity that you're trying to, like, essentially debunk yeah. is like, God is not some cop that busts into right. the movie mm-hmm. and says You can't do that. You can't enjoy this movie, you and know He certainly
1: doesn't intervene to stop it, you know.
0: Right. And if, yeah, so like essentially I think the idea here is that Christians are allowed to enjoy the movie.
1: They they're they're actually called to enjoy the movie. Yes. It's a it's not even, right, to. exactly. It's yeah. not even
0: just like they're allowed. Like mm-hmm. God wants us yes. to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. But He doesn't want that to be our sole end.
1: Right. He, he doesn't want you to forget about him.
0: Right. Exactly. Or the more important thing. He's things. like, don't forget. We got an after party. <laughs> but also, <laughs> help other people to enjoy the movie. And so, like, the Christians are the ones going around and saying, hey, you want some popcorn?
1: You won't believe what I experienced over here. Right? Yeah.
0: You know, you got those things. Like, Kind of get you a drink. Mm-hmm. You want to put your feet up? Here, take my spot. Mm-hmm. It's really comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, and you this know, a better view of the screen. Why don't you sit here? I'll take the other one. Exactly. That's like, and
1: water. we're not walking around telling people about our faith and about Jesus because uh, we want other people to do it. What do I benefit from that man going to church? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't help me. I mean, my religion's bigger, but that's not like long term. It's not going to benefit you. You want people to share it because it's so good. Because you get so... Why do we share things with people? Why do we share a movie we saw on Friday night with someone? Because you got a lot of pleasure from it, and you got a lot of happiness from it, and goodness. And you want someone else to get those things too, right? Right. That's like the sole purpose of evangelization. One sinner telling another sinner where to find bread, right? Yeah. I think Bishop Barron says. Um, And I love in in Peter Kreeft's book, uh, Jesus Meets Socrates, which is basically he tells a story of when... um, Jesus comes back into Socrates' time, which was before he existed, and he's Socrates shows him around the town, and they're both in like more of like a 1960s setting. Um, but Jesus, t- Socrates goes, "Hey, you wouldn't believe it, but there's like a church for people who worship you." And Jesus, you know, like, "Let's go check them out. I want you to see what they look like." And Jesus, okay, and he, you know, he's like Jesus is like a hip like person, person, right? And he goes in and. And jesus goes what are these people doing why are they all sitting you know on their knees in front of like a uh, this this item up front in the in the in the on the pew pu- on the on the um altar and Socrates goes well they're worshiping you and he goes these people they're worshiping you as like Socrates says as the, the god himself right and jesus goes these people can't possibly believe believe me and believe my teachings and believe the things i said if they did They would be falling on their knees, kissing the ground, like I would think, you know, like I came, you know, I came to them, gave myself to them and they like haphazardly stand, stand, sit and kneel and hardly believe. And and he goes, if, if they truly believed, why would they all look the same? Why would they all think the same, act the same
0: as like people who didn't believe you? No,
1: if these believers truly believed what I told them, why would they all? in the church, look the same? Why would they all think the same? Why would they all be acting the same way? I don't understand, you know, is basically more or less what he says in the book. And Socrates, oh, you're sorry, Peter Chris is trying to deliver, not to be confused with, um, he's trying to deliver the point that uh, that to be a Christian is to be radically different, to be radically yourself, to be unapologetically your most authentic, truest, best, the best version of yourself, as Matthew Kelly says. But um, I heard, sorry, I'll stop ranting, but um, there's this story, this kind of joke that, um, or this little like um, analog that a man goes up to a news broadcaster who's about to start filming and he's standing in front of the camera and he, I think it might actually be a true story. Um, Father Mike Schmidt shares it and he hands him, a, the man hands him a Bible and says, here, I want you to have this to the news broadcaster. And he goes, thank you very much, I appreciate that. And he goes, I'm not religious myself, because he starts to guess, so I just talked to him. I'm not religious myself, but I appreciate that you gave this to me. And he goes and gives it to one of his helpers. And, and the lady filming, the cameraman, or the camera lady says, uh, aren't, you, aren't, you, aren't you offended? Aren't you like angry about that or annoyed by that? You're in the middle of filming. And he goes, how can I be angry about this man giving me a Bible? If he truly believes that what he has to offer is real as in eternal life, right? Like a, 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 an existence, eternal happiness, something beyond this world. Mm-hmm. How much must he hate me not to share that with me? Yeah. And I love that. We are we are holding back. We are not loving people to the fullest if we can't share the gospel, the good news, right? Yeah. With them.
0: One of the things Father Mahoney said during one of his homilies just kind of wrecked me. He shared this quote by I forget who it was, but the guy said, Catholics are, they're all too comfortable going to heaven by themselves. Hmm. Who said that, Father Mahoney? Father Mahoney was quoting somebody else yeah, yeah. In, in his homily. That's funny. And I just thought to myself, wow, that is so true. Yep. Like, that is one thing that Protestant Christians do very well, is they evangelize. They're so good they at share, it. Yeah. And they share, and they mm-hmm. really fulfill that. Missionary mandate that Jesus gives right yep. before he ascends to into love heaven, your brother. and to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, and so like Catholics, myself included, are so often just very complacent, and we don't have any sense of urgency in sharing the gospel, and and really <laughs> recognizing that like this is it, and if if people don't receive this. That's it. Yep. And when the movie turns off, mm-hmm.
1: there's no after party for and, them. And that's what G- Jesus wants more than anything from him. What's the the verse that he says? Blessed are you, Father in heaven, for I've not come down from this to this world to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me. It's like premise A, premise B, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That I shall gather up these of yours and. Raise them on the last day. That I shall leave not the last one of them, or something like that. The he doesn't want anybody statement. to be left out. He wants to gather all of us up, a group, right? Like a, not not an individual person. He doesn't want to save Nick and then save Connor. He wants to save Nick and Connor, and the rest of the world, and get, and raise us on the on the last day. That we shall be saved on the last day. Right. Whatever that means. He wants
0: yeah. everyone in the after party. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want anybody to be left out. <laughs>
1: All invited. Yeah. Bring, bring, friend, you know. <laughs> yeah. No cap, right?
0: The, well, the the invitation. Is, Open invite there you is go. uh. Yeah. Well, you talk about this too, like in the analogies about heaven and uh, when Jesus is is like the um. There's the wedding feast, and some guy doesn't have the wedding robe on, and so he mm-hmm. gets he gets thrown out, uh, kind of violently. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and the analogy there is that the guy was not uh didn't have his baptismal robes on wasn't yeah he wasn't baptized mm-hmm. and, and more specifically meaning he, he never professed belief mm. and like he never. oh and he'll be thrown out cast out right mm-hmm. and so like it's not because jesus is some dictatorial tyrant who mm-hmm. just wants everybody to profess belief so that he can <laughs> control them but rather because it is it is an indication of selflessness Mm-hmm. for an individual to profess Christ. Because to profess Christ is not simply to say the words and have them leave your lips. But it is every fiber of my being, every bone in my body mm-hmm. is now devoted to giving myself purpose. to others. Mm-hmm. It's not about... Service
1: me without self-regard and love, love without pretense. Right. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> that's that's what the Christian message is. It's not, it's not just like, let me make sure I'm worshiping the right God. Mm-hmm. It's I want to make sure that I'm serving God and others, and my life is about gift. It's, it's no to, longer about right. taking. It's um, to
1: completely surrender your life, it, right. and the, which is scary, which is incredibly it's scary. So terrifying. you know, you may ascend to the truths, and that's how I got there. Like the movie A Case for Christ, I found, I was like in tears watching it because it was just so paralleled with my story when I was in RA at temple. But like, I opened the closet door and I saw by researching it that this that I was totally wrong and that my presuppositions basing my the 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 amount of evidence which I planted my stake on of atheism Had no foundation and I really didn't have good arguments for for my faith in atheism I would never say that but for my belief in atheism Well, I'd like to talk
0: about that a little bit more if you don't mind like what were some of the arguments that you had and then uh, during your research, how did you kind of begin to debunk some of those arguments just for anybody who might be listening yeah. struggling with atheism. those arguments
1: and when as I read them and discovered them I was I opened the closet door and I couldn't shut it I'd seen what was inside I, I had couldn't I you no lines, I, uh, couldn't, I couldn't unlearn what I had learned. and I was I was shocked by it and because the, the, I didn't want to I didn't want to believe number one because I would be going against everything that I had said hitherto my mm-hmm. message that people knew that I touted of of religion being a Um, a harm for people and being Marx's opioid of the masses and being like the cause of many many conflicts in world history
0: yeah you know what let me just before you continue I would like to because this is something I've really struggled with is people would rather be logically consistent Mm -hmm. than admit that they are a hypocrite yep yeah, you know. Yep. Um, Even if
1: they know at some point during that belief that they're wrong, right? They when they discover, like, oh somebody shoot, I'm wrong. Them, right? Like
0: the logical thing to do is to say, "I was wrong."
1: <laughs> That's humiliating. Now I'm going to
0: submit to the truth mm-hmm. and admit that I was wrong before.
1: That's intellectual humility, right? Right.
0: But pe- a lot of times people do, and I've done this myself a lot. Mm-hmm. We all have. Yep. Is I I, rec- I d- come to discover personally, secretly that I'm wrong, and rather than Tra- switch teams so mm-hmm. to say
1: and follow the truth And follow the is, truth yeah
0: and admit publicly that i was wrong i stay on the wrong team yep
1: willingly and we think that people will judge us or like uh, we'll look like we don't know what we're doing in reality what do, what do you think when you see someone who does that you respect the hell out of that that's a respectable when they thing admit they're right wrong. because yes. It's, there, it's acknowledging, like they're acknowledging the truth, which I already know that they don't know everything, right? right? They're acknowledging that and they're saying like, I am going to follow the truth. That's the morally virtuous thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do. Well, and so I, you're it, right. When, and it, when, it, when
0: somebody it, does that, it also it encourages other people to yeah. admit that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Because if everyone's going around the, too afraid to admit wrongs, no progress is ever going to be made mm-hmm. in pursuing the truth yep because everyone's just gonna stick with whatever original viewpoint they already had yep because everyone's too afraid to change their mind because it makes they think it makes them look weak
1: yep I love it's like augustine's uh, when a when a wrong when a man wrongs you forgive him lest there be two wrong men you know like yeah. there's you can't just follow their patterns it's just gonna right. lead to to, to what is truth? You know, uh, yeah. pilot's age old question. Again, um, so you're right. I, yeah, it's an important point to bring up.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you no. were so you were saying
1: so so the the, the you asked for the conviction the the pieces of evidence that I had for why I believed why I was an atheist. Well, um,
0: well, what what overturned your what overturned my belief? Your invalid yeah. uh, arguments. What
1: made me think I was um, ultimately was I, I was wrong. Ultimately, like first off, and yeah, I didn't want to convert to Christianity. I didn't want to change my belief at all because the number one, people would see that what I'm saying is different and I, it's not consistent, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, um, it wasn't convenient to because I would have to change a lot of things in the way I was living. I couldn't go out every Friday, Saturday, and I'd get drunk, try to meet girls, and yeah. etc. Um, I couldn't do what's in the best interest of Connor. Uh, there's a lot of things right so I, I, I couldn't become successful and climb the ladder in the hierarchical command um, and of course I still believe as an atheist that uh, the, the, I was raised with the virtues that I'm so grateful for now of um, the, many of which are, are consonant with Christian religion of, of loving other people and telling the truth doing the right things do not kill you know what I mean so the, those are foundational in our Western society um, but the things, there was a lot of things. Number one, the historical side of things. So uh, a big reason that I was convicted that religion was probably false or just like a, 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 belief, that, a, a belief that, or a concept that humans came up with to explain away things that they didn't understand was my perspective. And I think that there are people who do that, God of the gaps, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't know how the universe was created 13.8 billion years ago because it's incredibly complicated. Not a single person doesn't know the answer to that question, right? And and I realized that when I took a cosmos class my senior year as a gen ed. Like, I was done my gen eds, I just did it as an elective, but I did it because I was interested. And the guy teaching it was the same professor. He's the only astronomer at Temple who's a professor. Um, uh, I can't remember. Who his name but but either way he he taught me physics when I needed to take it for biology and was brilliant I could see he's a complete geek um, so I knew he would love to teach it and be really good and I ate it up I read so much more of the textbooks than I, I needed to but uh, you know and I wasn't really trying for the grade at that point the tests were whatever but um, I loved it And in the last the last lecture so it's fascinating the beauty the f- perfection the form the order and the like Carefulness with which the universe was created. I remember there's a book, um, "The New Proofs for the Existence of God" by Father um, Spitzer, Robert Spitzer, and he talks about the like the numbers. Like there's it's like a ten to the twenty third, um, two hundred thirty thousandth exponential. Like constant uh, that one over that is the Probability of the constant constants of the universe matching up so that it doesn't either uh, continuously expand into rapidly into like nothingness or fall in and collapse on itself. Mm-hmm. The light like, that's the likelihood of our universe having the two constants that it does to stay perfectly like balanced. You know, like mm-hmm. the basically long story short, the probability of it it actually coming to existence and staying the way it is is infinitesimally small right like way way too small for just random chance or for universe to spontaneously appear out of nowhere how does something come from nothing was a question I really didn't think about deeply think about you know you ask all the right questions and all the you ask for proofs of all along the way in biology back to the dawn of man but but then when it comes to the big question you people fall short why is there something rather than nothing, right? And so I had gone, what I was exploring was I, two things. Number one, and I think first focus, was the existence of the world. Where did it come from? And 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 it, I figured up until that point, studying biology, because there's answers for so many things that I now understand why they're the way they are. I understand why animals, certain animals have a tail, why we have vertebrae, whatnot, um, are, um, you know, just why the human human being has four limbs and our feet are made for walking. Like, why we are bipedal? It makes a lot of evolutionary sense when we run out of prey in the trees and we have to come down to chase after, um, you know, running animals. Um, and so I was like, science has the answers to all these questions that I had wondered before. It almost assuredly has the answer to the question of, does God exist? Or... Why does the universe exist? I just don't don't know it yet. So, and I didn't really, I mean, researching it, you can't like Google that question. Do you know what I mean? It's not something you'll find on Google. People think that like you can find anything on the internet and that's true, maybe, but you don't, you have to know where to find it. And it might take you about, Forty-eight hundred hours to find the right resource. Yeah, which source right? do you trust? Which source do you trust? How do you even get to the? There's not going to be one source that has all the answers. I have parts and pieces. It's dispersed.
0: I hardly the, get to the bottom of the first page of Google when yeah, I search. No, it. and you, it's you so know, boring. nobody
1: looks past the first page on Google results. It's, yeah. it's, so you can't Google that question, right? So, but this cosmos class, the last class, the last lecture of the whole semester, was uh, the Big Bang, and he talked about what happened in the Big Bang the how it developed and unfolded and then um in the white noise and it was it was pretty complex and then what came before the big bang and we really he he openly said like scientists don't know because as a scientist you can only observe the system that you're a part of which is from the big bang onward so you can't study something that's before time the limiting dimension right
0: it's all conjecture
1: it's conjecture and 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 science needs that basis in philosophy like tell me using biology chemistry physics what what is biology <laughs> or how does it relate to meaning and truth well you can't with science because it's a description of the terrain it's not a map or it is a map sorry it's not it doesn't tell you any meaning it doesn't tell you where you want to go
2: yeah
0: it
1: tells you what you're observing anyway so i left that class thing holy crap like he, he literally opened didn't say this but I, I concluded from the lecture that the scientist has the same standing on the same ladder of evidence for the existence of the world as the theologian, as the priest who committed his life to that, as the believer of the colloquial believer who believes because they saw a, a dove fly by and it's symbolic of their grandmother, or like, <laughs> right. or they experienced God personally in their life. Well, through coincidences that I would consider coincidences sure, or sure. whatever. And the 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 the, the, neither team really had a strong foundation to plant their stake in their mount, and so and I realized ultimately this is a question that you come to know it's a question that you'll never know the answer to, because by definition you can't know the answer to it's faith right. Which question? The question of does God exist? Mm -hmm. We can believe with we can believe based on the evidence we gather, and I think like every scientist doesn't ever know one hundred percent that the premise they hold is true. I think that you can know with an overwhelming amount of evidence, right? Uh, but you could find have a finding that is conflicts with yours and maybe it was an error, but maybe it was because it caught on to something that like quantum. Like when Einstein was presented with quantum theorem from um, the uh, his his colleague who who presented it to him, he didn't believe it. He refused because it went against general relativity as a whole he said god does not roll dice and he he could not and it wasn't until the end of his life that he started to like assent to like the possibility of the double slit experiment's findings that basically that electrons are never in one position around an atom they're in these probability clouds all at the same time so basically the findings of the biggest scary findings of quantum were that a particle doesn't actually exist it can't be described to be in one location until it's observed and it was And it the studies literally showed that when the sensor was placed after the this double slit which they passed electrons through that's when it found its solid um place and it presented in like a, a waveform on the back wall on the on this thing that was detecting on the back but when you didn't do that when you didn't observe it it presented in disarray like a random pattern It's it was and it's reproducible it's completely wacky it basically says that that atoms uh, first off a few things. number one you could take wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold on, one second yeah
0: so you're saying there's a possibility that when a tree falls in the forest it doesn't make a sound
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> Nick stick away <laughs> <laughs> like uh, just no. because no someone mm-hmm. is not
0: observing it.
1: It doesn't hold its definite position until it's observed. And I'm not saying human observation, I'm saying... But
0: doesn't that fly in the face of all science? Yes,
1: yes, it does. I'm telling you. Look it up. I'm telling you.
0: It's. You're saying that because it's observed, that's when it acts hold its definite in a position. repetitious way. That we can measure, and it's a repeatable pattern. Uh, when I
1: return it, that's when it acts in a predictable way. Predictable
0: way, mm-hmm. right. But when it's not being observed, mm-hmm. then it doesn't. Yes. How could you know it if you're not observing it? How could you know that?
1: You so I should say observed. So because they would hit the sensor on the back wall, right, and then the, the data is collected that of where the particles hit. So it's being observed after it went through a sensor, not after it's viewed by like a little lens after the like before the sensor. It's too honestly. It's it's too nuanced but and too detailed to explain. Directly observed. I don't it still
0: like. Pocket, I don't know there's a pocket I, of time where you're quote unquote not observing it but you're planning on observing it once it hits the back wall sensor right like yeah so like, but
1: believe me like this is an incredibly complicated experiment and I'm sure they've yeah. hashed out all the details it's almost, yeah. the conclusions of it were and it, also the, the conclusion of it is that if you take from one single atom a carbon atom you take one electron it's all, you know it's, uh, it's always either spinning positive or negative direction that's like we learn in general chemistry yeah and if you take it and separate it from the atom and move the atom to california and you take another atom or another electron that's circulating around that atom the nucleus and check its spin okay so it's positively spinning the other atom that you left back in pennsylvania if you flip the positively spinning one to negatively spinning the atom in pennsylvania will flip its spin still and there's nothing to explain the connectiveness Of those two things right short of the fab short of they came from the same fabric that makes up the universe it's crazy like the spin will change well how would they possibly know the magnetism of one another there's no like magnetic field between the two you know it 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 totally breaks our, our our understanding of when i discovered it i was shocked i was this is does not line up with the newtonian um science that i came to understand I don't know. Anyways, we, how did we get into this? I don't know. So,
0: so, we, went we went down the rabbit
1: hole, man. <laughs> so to answer your question, I came to the, the – the, my what premises did I cha- convert on? Um, I converted on – I realized that I wasn't so certain. <laughs> how but, did we get to quantum physics? <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. Okay. So after the – I'm not even going to keep most of that in there. Oh, gosh. I don't know what should, the heck we should. were talking about. It's but interesting stuff. Maybe I should. But so, Okay.
1: And yeah. I bet you the scientists will like it, They'll the, the it. physics guys. Oh, yes.
0: So. I have thousands engineers. of scientists, listeners. <laughs> He's in the news. You know. um, so the original question was, what made you start to believe?
1: Yeah. And the, the, there was probably two aspects. There was the logical, the rational. But there's also the, in my life, like interper, in intrapersonal experiences. Sure um but the the rational logical arguments the ones that i think can mostly affect other people listening would be would be studying who jesus was so the historicity or the reliability of the writings we have about him whether josephus is a good historian or mm-hmm. who else we have and the i think there's like 300 different versions of on papyrus of the of the gospels that we have um You know, there's not just the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, John, and Luke. There's 27, I think, different uh, authors who wrote a gospel. Whether it was written by them or not is a different discussion. But um, either way, there's the the amount of evidence. The amount of um, of like you take basically as a as a historical critical method scholar, you take all these writings and you line them up and you see what's in common, right? And what's in common is more frequently more likely to be actually verifiable and true than those that are not. And if you do that compared to like figures before Jesus, like it, the, the graph goes like this, spikes way up for Jesus, and then it like goes back down and continue. And as you get closer to now, of course your evidence of uh, um, the data you have for proving its legitimacy is increasing. But there's so much, so much uh, record for Jesus's existence as a man, greater than Alexander the Great, who was a predecessor of him, and how many people do you know that would adamantly assert that Adam's, Alexander the Great did not exist? It did, nobody. I mean, they just, just assumed, right? Because I don't know why. But but so, either way, so, so yeah. the
0: fact that Jesus was a real historical figure mm-hmm. was impactful for you.
1: Yes, because he had to be real historical of figure. If not, then God did not take on flesh in those truths, and then he didn't say the things he said because he's not a human. Right? Well,
0: so that's kind of operating with the presupposition that he is God.
1: Yes, which I don't think he leaves open for us. I think that I think reading it, I was pretty clear if that he wrote these, if he said these things that we attribute to him, he did not say he could possibly be just a teacher. He says he calls himself God. He says that. I am, you know, and 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 when you take that in the Jewish context, right. which I probably didn't understand at the time, but like, of the Hebrew, you know, that is a huge claim, right? Like for Jews,
0: yeah, to utter the words and to even call away. yourself
1: God, of course you're going to be killed right away. Like that's yeah. d- d- this appalling. They wouldn't.
0: Well, some people don't actually believe that Jesus ever claimed to be God, right? And Brett I think Brett Erman, they fundamentally yeah. misunderstand everything about him. Then the reason
1: they say that though is because. Mark to Matthew, Luke to John, Jesus gets progressively more defined and he gets more flowery with his words, his language. So it's reasonable to think, especially if they're dated like 40, 400, or sorry, 40 AD to like 100 to 130 AD, then like people are adding stuff to it with the conclusion that those people make.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that, but what I will say is that uh, it doesn't make any sense that Jesus was killed if he never claimed to be God.
1: Agreed, yeah, would like, you get killed for being a uh, well, I mean Socrates is killed for corrupting the youth,
0: yeah, but the, the Jews literally say in the Gospels that he is a man who has made himself God,
2: like, yeah,
0: when, and they're, they're saying that like as their justification for requesting the death sentence for Jesus yeah. mm-hmm. and, so, and they
1: go to Pilate, who's a Roman official. They would never do that. They don't want to rely on the Romans to dictate their sentencing, right? They want to take care of it themselves, the high priest. They don't want to rely on the Romans, period. But they go to them, which is like a pretty humiliating thing and submissive thing to do right. in that time and place to um, punish him, right?
0: Yeah, and, and while Jesus never comes out and just says, like, I am God, like that's that's not his literary style. You I see, am the Father Even mine, when people ask him, Point blank questions about things. He always, I should say, often answers in a very Yeah, yeah, very allegorical way. He kind of answers by not circumventing the question. He tells him a story. He, yeah, he's, he doesn't he doesn't like answering directly. But like that. Why
1: do you think that is? I have my.
0: That's a really theories. good question. Why why is Jesus cryptic in the way that he? Mm-hmm. I think it's typically because he finds issue. And the reason the person is asking you know <laughs> he knows like, their oh, hearts right, right. Mm-hmm. why are you asking that you know yep. i could answer plainly but i'm going to actually answer the question that you really are asking
1: yep the sub the thing that's behind your consciousness right what's in your heart that's that nobody great. else totally sees,
0: nobody else hears? you know
1: a good example of that is the um they the the people bring in a woman who committed adultery and they say well good preacher they put him in a bind and he's between a rock and a hard place parabolically they say good teacher this woman has committed adultery do you shall we follow jewish law and stone her to death or knowing that jesus is a big softy has a mercy right um he won't want to do that or do you propose something different and he i love what he does he sits down and writes in the sand he's thinking right yeah. he turns the question on them he, he questions their motive for bringing her to him is it to trick him, or is it because they genuinely care? It said, "Which one of which one of you, which one among you, uh, whoever has sin, be the first to throw a stone." Which is in Jewish law, like the the ruling was that if you um, if you thought someone was guilty of a crime and you were very convicted, that's true, you can throw the first stone, and then they, the rest of the people stone her and or him, that person, and kill them. And if it comes out later that you were wrong, that they were innocent. You are to get stoned the first as a sentence. Yes. Well, so you're 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 putting your own life at stake by being right. So he's and nobody wanted to do it because yeah. none of them were convicted enough to right. know. But he turns it on them. Are are any of you comfortable enough saying that she's guilty to give up your life for it? Mm, well, they
0: and I think he the the thing he says to them is let the one among you yeah. who is without sin. Mm-hmm. Be the first to throw a that, stone.
1: Yeah, and I think many times people think of that as like, well, they they're not doing it because like they they're like, well, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm guilty too, right? Right. Um, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. He's. I think you could tr- extract both messages clearly, like the Jewish law one, and then like the that one.
0: So um, I'm sensing here, a, an integral part of your conversion story is a fascination with the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The more that you've come to learn about him. The more you've become fell convinced in love with yeah. that he is truly the Lord.
1: Yeah, and I, it started with acknowledging that he he is this b- brilliant. His response, its just what you said. His responses to people's questions are so pithy and so like clever, and people don't even realize that. And this is a carpenter, right? Like he's right. he's not he's not academically trained. He sat in the temple. I love that story. He sits in the temple uh, as a six-year-old or whatever, and. Asking questions, asking the rabbis questions. He was wondering. He was a thinker, probably. He was very inquisitive and in, in questioned things. He was probably a truth seeker, right?
0: Well, now, yeah, I, th- yeah I, I think now we're really coming to the crux of the issue. Before we were kind of talking about the, can we know the existence of God? And yeah, you can go with the philosophical deep dive down the rabbit hole of like talking about um, the creation of the universe and trying to do these. Uh, philosophical arguments for why God existed based on observing the order in the universe or looking at the scientific things. The watchmaker argument. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. and that, that's a deep dive. You could go that route, yeah. but I think you can really cut through all of that sure, by looking at the person of Jesus
1: and saying... Was he who he said he was?
0: Right. And I don't know if you ever he, heard of the the, the... the trilemma? Uh, the liar, lunatic, yeah, Lord.
1: Yeah, yeah. Lewis's trilemma. Yeah. yeah,
0: that I think for me is one of the most... Compelling uh, arguments that I've found, um, and so
1: you want to do go over it real quick? Yeah,
0: this is, we can we can close out with this, but okay. Um, so obviously we're we're operating under the presupposition that Jesus did in fact claim to be God. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the foundation of this whole trilemma here, um, and we can treat that another time. But the, the presupposition here is that, yes, that is what Jesus meant when he said, Yahweh, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, is he a liar? What do you think? Was he lying?
1: Yeah, Ed Lewis says, um, he, he, he seemed, oh, if he's a liar, then he says, D- does this man strike you as, as the, the characteristics of a, of a type of person who would be a liar? He did nothing but sacrifice. He did nothing but love his brothers He doesn't exhibit the characteristics of a liar because he's not—he'd be a pathological liar. This is a big lie to make, right? Um, He he, doesn't—he's not in it for anything for himself. Ultimately, his end is to be killed gruesomely and tortured. Um, Does he? Why would he lie? What would be the the the, the motive behind that, right?
0: Right, and he doesn't actually claim. How are the miracles happening?
1: Well, that's true too. Yeah, but he doesn't. You know, he has so much power at the at at the crux of um, his. At the peak of his uh, mission, um, before he's captured and crucified, that he could, he could have an influence of a usurp, a usurping or a, a disruption or like a revolt against the Roman sure. authority. But he doesn't. He doesn't take that crown, right? And that's what people want him to do. So a liar, you know, a liar wouldn't probably that wouldn't be consonant with a liar's behavior, is what Lewis says. Yeah. Does he read it? And he says, read it. Does he strike you as a liar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: You can pretty reasonably assume like, he's not a liar. It mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. And he he's shown that he's... Uh, well, I'm dipping into the next one. Is he a lunatic? Is he a lunatic? Is he crazy? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And he says... Um, you know, I think we'd have to look up his specific responses uh, to be more apt. But essentially, a lunatic.
0: Well... <clears throat> does he? Is he just some dude who honestly believes that he's God? Yeah. Even though he's just like a regular guy? Uh, I don't think, I don't think that there's a ton of evidence to support that. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's any evidence to support that. Because, number one, how on earth is he making blind people see or deaf people hear? How is he raising dead people back to life? Mm-hmm. Uh, if he if he doesn't actually have the power that he's claiming to have, um, so yeah, people might people might say that the miracles never happened. Let's say you're just subscribing to the idea that, oh, those miracles are not historically accurate. Uh, Jesus was never actually bringing the dead people back to life, never actually making blind people see, whatever. We can still look at his responses to people in the Gospels to say, no, he's not a lunatic. He's actually extremely clever. Some of the dilemmas that people forced him into with, should we pay taxes and his response brilliantly that left everyone jaw dropped and speechless was mm-hmm. Whose inscription is on the coin? Caesar's. And give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Yeah. Mic drop. Like <laughs> is, is a lunatic going to be able to generate a response that clever? Right, and, dude. And, and that's exactly
1: that's exactly right. That's exactly what um, Peter Kreeft says when he talks about Lewis' triloma. He says Almost no one who has read the Gospels can honestly and seriously consider that option in being a liar or a lunatic. Uh, uh, the savviness, the canniness, the human wisdom, the attractiveness of Jesus emerge from the Gospels with an unavoidable force to any but the most hardened and prejudiced reader.
0: Wow. I love yeah. that.
1: And then, But he says um, on the lunatic one, he'd be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. Right, because I I truly
0: do not understand. I, I, I mean no disrespect to any people of the Jewish faith or of the faith of Islam who hold this. But it is absolutely illogical and nonsensical to hold that Jesus is a great teacher when he has committed the capital sin to yep. both of your religions, In that which time. is mm-hmm. highest, the highest order of blasphemy. Mm-hmm. For Jews,
1: Don't God is that. one. Yeah.
0: And if you claim to be God, that is one of the worst sins you could possibly commit. Same thing with Islam, yeah. God is one. And anyone who claims that they are on the par with Allah, yeah. or that they yeah. are Allah, is like highest order of blasphemy. Yeah, and it's not. Thing.
1: it's not like what we think of when we think of God today. Like our understanding is different from theirs, right? So everybody then believes in God. Believes in they're they're using God and they believe of God as the right sense, which is that the one who created the 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 the, the knower beyond all knowers, right? Um, not this like divide between the scientific and the religious that we kind of see today. But right. so that everybody believes in God. So for you to say like you are the one, you are the ultimate being, the ipsum esse, existence itself, that's a huge claim. You literally it's have to be massive. a lunatic, right? If it's Nobody not true. Nobody would say that. And I'm sure people right. had said it, but that they've just him off as psychotic, right?
0: Unless it's true, unless he really mm-hmm. was God, mm-hmm. and then he's not lying and he's not crazy. Mm-hmm. He is, in fact, Lord. And that's door number yeah. three. Now, for the people who who say he never said that, he's Lord, I, I would point you to several points in the gospel. How do you make sense of I am the way, the truth, and the life? Mm-hmm. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Father and I are one. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and even if you make that argument, he never said it, it maybe looking at mark right uh, the earliest gospel he cert- he maybe never said it explicitly there but he certainly implied it like you're you're left it, it, it's it's in there just read it you're right
0: right and um, when they're trying to kill him for it mm-hmm. why doesn't he speak What's their up it's charge yeah yeah all right, all right. he never says oh that's not what i said that wasn't my claim
1: they charge him in the court hearing for be, calling himself God. Yeah. And Why would he, they kill him? The guy
0: yeah. asked him point blank, are you the Messiah, the Holy One mm-hmm. of God?
1: You have said that I am.
0: Yeah. Well, no, he says in, God, in John's gospel, he, he says point blank, I am. Mm. And that's that's the latest gospel. So if, if you're going to make the argument that it got flowerier and flowerier and he's backing away from that. No, no, flowery
1: is in more divine. Oh okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that, that holds up be then, yeah. because in John's that John's Gospel highlights the divinity of Jesus more than any other. That's what the,
1: that's what I mean. Yeah, but but real quick, just to jump back, you said that um, oh, you said we were talking about why Jesus would never directly answer their questions, or oftentimes just go circumvent it. Yeah. yeah, and I think you, number one, it, it gets to the intent of the asker, but also it, it Kierkegaard holds this philosophy of never tell people what is true. Cause that's a, that's like offensive, you know. It, people get offended by that. Well,
0: oh, I don't think Jesus was worried about offending. I know, people,
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> you mean he wasn't a snowflake? <laughs> it's a, it, it, well. That's your truth, but how do I know that's true, right? <laughs> but whereas, like, if you come to that truth on your own by your own thinking, you're much more likely to believe it, at least to be convicted.
0: That's of it. a really good point. That's a really good point. That his yeah. I could he totally wanted them to believe it. Christ wanted people to arrive at that conclusion through their own cognitive mm-hmm. power. Because not it. just because I say so. Mm-hmm. And he was very good at, at drawing people into dialogue and mm-hmm. facilitating reflection. Because he wants them to think about it deeply. Not just in this moment, in this dialogue, you know With one the audience hearts. here. Yeah. You want your big mic drop moment? Well, I'm not going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. this is a huge question mm-hmm. that I want you to think about more than just right now mm-hmm. with this crowd watching.
1: And he wants you to pull the splinter out of your own eye before you point out the, or plank out of your own eye and you point out the splinter in the other. Which he may, turns it on them, right? Like the, the men coming with the adulterer lady. Well, forget about the lady. <laughs> adulterer lady. Forget about the girl. <laughs> Where are your hearts, men? Like, why don't you take care of yourself right, right. first? And then, yeah, you know. Very good. Very clever.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly not a lunatic.
1: So we did lunatic, we did liar, and then orly he's
0: Lord. He is Lord. I and mean, we, we kind of did Jesus is the, Lord. Uh, you know, the only logical alternative is that he, he is, in fact, who he says he is. And that is that he is the Lord. Now, mm-hmm. some people might say uh, the Messiah that the Jews were awaiting was not uh, God, but rather some sort of uh, political or military leader like David. Mm-hmm. But that's not who... Christ is claiming to be. He clearly shows that he has no interest in politics. He has no interest in military aggression or force mm. or uh, t- overthrowing the Roman Empire by force. Um, rather, he lays himself down uh, completely peacefully. And and so Jesus is not binding himself to the messianic identity that the Jews were holding at the time. He And you've actually said this to me, I think, before. It's he introduced, Why doesn't Jesus just come right out of the gate and say, I'm God? Mm-hmm. Because the Jews have an association with God already. Rather, he, he slowly introduces himself to them and shows them, this is who I am. And once the apostles and, and the disciples know who Jesus is, then he says, I'm God. Mm-hmm. Because now the identity that they've built up and that they, they know Jesus to be, mm-hmm. now they associate that with God.
1: Well, I think I think that's exactly right. If they had told him right off the bat, that would have crushed them. That would have broke them. Like, to, okay, I'm standing in front of God himself. They would have done nothing but fall on their faces and worship him for the whole rest of the trip. Do you think to, so? Think, you think they would have believed him? They, the reason that I think that he introduces himself as Jesus first and then they come to know him as God is because he shows them that he is love and then he shows them that he is God. And then they make the connection that the two are the same right? right if he shows himself as God whatever presuppositions they carry about God right. are then tied to him exactly it's a different you see what I mean it's very 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 smart yeah so I think that's why I did I also like yeah they wouldn't have been able to function at all like they're trying to figure out who he is along the way is he a great prophet or is he it right like um, and he doesn't tell them when they want to know he holds the secret just as like a, a parent does before Christmas with the presents you know right um, when they're ready he tells them right he knows their hearts so but yeah but then I think it, it removes that the presuppositions about God they come to know who he is as a person what he does, how he serves uh, he humbles himself he seeks truth he's honest integ- great integrity great integrity and he loves right he ultimately he is love they see that and then they see that he is God and now they've associated all those things as godlike right Bang They're, they have a great formula for success after he leaves
0: yeah now that those uh kind of false ideas about god have kind of been dismantled and disassociated
1: and that i think just to tie into other like you can you can take that and extrapolate it and use it in so many different ways but in dating to come to know someone as your friend as a trusted ally as a companion you know as um someone who brings you peace and then to come to know them as your quote unquote word girlfriend which has so many presuppositions we all have with, right? That is a much come, better you're way. You're saying
0: friendship should come first.
1: I'm saying it many times that that will lead to a more fruitful a, a better relationship right.
0: because all of the negative <gasps> strings that people attach to. to my you, girlfriend, girlfriend and
1: like well now you have to f- make her fill a, a role that is in your head I that see. she probably doesn't fit or vice versa. Hmm. I think it's true in so many ways.
0: Interesting. Well, maybe we all can right. talk about that another time. Yeah, Connor's
1: episode on dating. <laughs> we tried that one before. We could bring all I, my I, exes I, in you here. You remember we
0: did that? And I. Oh my gosh, the ghosts <laughs> of girlfriends past. Yeah, no. Hear yeah, uh, their story. We did. Their we did. Do you story. remember that? That was the very first episode ever of DFWS. Yeah. We had a room full of people in IHH. It was a huge hit. And we had an engaged <laughs> couple right there. And the microphone didn't hear jack crap. Nope, nothing. It uh, was a good one, too, was, I thought. It was awesome. We had an audience to laugh, and remember? Yeah, it was a live audience. That was the whole idea, was to have a live audience for each episode. And then people would get They laughed at our bad jokes. Yeah, yeah so, many, so many bad jokes. But um, anyway, yeah, we'll have to do another one. Dude, thank you so much. For coming on the show, yeah, it's
1: great to be up to the studio, man. I love what you did
0: with <laughs> my the little my traveling studio. I take my little microphone with me, and the audio is just five percent lighting five percent better than last time. Yeah, the, my new microphone. Anyway, guys, um, literally in the middle of this episode, we paused it, and I created an email so that I could tell you mm. to uh, send us things that you want us to talk about. It is DF Dubs after all. Um, So we're down for whatever, and we want to hear from you guys. So the email that we made is called 321DFdubs. DFdubs. 321. At at gmail.com. So that's 321 D F D U B Z at gmail.com. DFdubs with a Z. Uh, Can't wait to hear from you guys. I will read your email on the show uh, regardless of what you say, even if it has the most terrible curse words in it. No. <laughs> okay. You guys are... You know, <laughs> no correct. Don't so take that as a challenge. I'm, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so I'll give you a shout-out, and uh, maybe we'll even start to uh, get a little Patreon going or something if this uh, becomes a hit and gets big enough. So, um, yeah. Oh, wait, wait,
1: wait. Is this going to become like a Joe Rogan-length podcast where it goes three to four hours with I, the tr- I hope interlocutor? Not, you, know?
0: you know, my okay. back hurts from having to lean in. <laughs> no, but uh, this is my longest podcast yet because it was such an awesome conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we
1: would have probably had this conversation if it wasn't recording. Yeah, yeah. It would have just been less
0: awkward. Connor is one of my closest friends, so it flows pretty naturally. But um, one of these times, you. I'm going <laughs> yeah, nice to... Yeah, me. Buddy. I'm going <laughs> to...
1: <laughs> just kidding. Just yeah. actually,
0: I've never even met the guy. I he just walked in his house. Though
1: Nick didn't really want to pick me up in the airport yesterday, so. You know. But I would have. You would have. You know,
0: I would have. Good friend. I said I would, but I said it I would just be, don't want to. It would <laughs> be better if Mike Fantana, who no. actually lives in Jersey. An hour away. Yeah. yeah uh, so, but you, I committed before I even knew you're Mike. Right. You did. You yeah. You did. Before I even knew Mike. Yeah. said
1: Yes. So. You're, you're a good guy. You drop anything for me. I know. I, I would come get you.
0: But um, yeah. So so next time we'll have some random guest. I don't know. Who do you want to have on? Email us. 321-DFDOS. Mm. Ooh, Father Mahoney would be a great or one. Or what about DeLacy or Archbishop
1: um, yeah. Perez? His niece lives right two houses down from here. Could be a good one. I don't Wait, know. Wait, what? Yeah, Archbishop Perez's niece lives. is my next door neighbor.
0: Don't say the address. <laughs> <laughs> only, she lives As at... of right now, people only know that we're in Philly. Yeah. Right? But they don't know yeah, where. I don't so know. So that's probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> But,
1: um, they could probably track maybe flight, I should get like somebody Elon.
0: who's like not Catholic on, or not even Elon Christian. Elon Musk. Because yeah. I don't want people to think that this is just a religious podcast. You should. You should
1: get a, a a thinker who's like a philosopher who's an atheist.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Matush might get, but... I don't want people,
0: I don't want people to think that this is just an echo chamber
1: where for, it's just about... Free thought is... Free speech is protected. Free thought is encouraged.
0: Yeah, we are DF dubs. So we're not just here to talk about uh, what I think, but I also want to know what other people think too. And I'm I'm keeping an open mind because I don't want to be that hypocritical person who just never admits that they're wrong. So I want to, if I'm wrong, I want to... There's
1: so much we don't know. I was thinking that during our talk, like, gosh, I just forget so much, but like, we just, you know, we think we know the whole picture. We don't. We, um, for now, we see him in part, and then we shall see face to face. There is know.
0: more that we don't know than that we do. Yeah. Like, Have you that's... seen
1: that pie chart? Where it's like um, sh- it's, it says shit that we do know, and it's point one percent. And then it says one percent, which is shit that we know that we don't know. And then yeah. the ninety nine percent is shit <laughs> that we don't know that we don't know. Yeah, things
0: we don't even know that yeah. we don't know. Yeah. yeah. Dark, well, and that dark matter and dark energy. <laughs> no, that would be yeah. in the one percent. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, if you made it to this point in the podcast, uh, kudos to you. I don't know how or why you you. stayed this long, but thank you. And uh, hopefully, we can hear from you next time. Must be very lonely. Yeah, (laughs) pat on the (laughs) pat on the back. This is one of those podcasts you turn on when you're trying not to think about work. You know, trying to
1: think more existential. You know.
0: Yeah, and you're like, it gets you through the day through your eight hour shift. Why does God exist? But He does. Trust us. Yeah. Amen. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. I'm Nikki T, your host. I'm here with Dr. Connor C. Oh, Connor S. What
2: did you just get your own initials wrong? You said Nikki T, Connor if C. Con- it doesn't rhyme. All oh, you know? righty.
1: Well, All right. well don't remember that, that part. <laughs> see you later, guys. Dr. Next time. Follow me on Twitter.
0: DF Doves. Peace.
2: Oh, thank you.